Session. And or go. Done. And podcast. <laughs> All right. Welcome to No Instructions. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. What's up? Hey, man. You may notice something that I don't have a set in front of me. I have noticed. I figured you were doing that for some kind of showmanship, so I, I wasn't going to ask about it. I am. I got a new set. Mm-hmm. Secret set. Mm-hmm. And I got you one, too. Oh, I think I know what it is. Is it? Oh, it does a heavy box. It is a heavy box. Is it? Does it get lighter? Because of... Well, you dropped it. You dropped it. Why do you, how do you have a penny in your pocket? I don't know. Is it my knife, maybe? It's probably the best place for a penny. Not All right. Ah, whoa. Oh. Ooh, what's that? Oh, man. Oh, stuff is falling out stuff. everywhere. Look what we got. <gasps> oh, we got... People in the video know what we have. Man. We can blur that address out in case that was visible. There you go. Check it out. I can move my own camera now. Is that on mine? What? Is that on mine? <laughs> yeah, this is yours, Anthony. The little tiny. <laughs> we got the Lego Ideas International Space Station set. Space Station. Anthony, how do you make my camera go? Because I want to. Oh. We got a whole different set. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, Whoa. we do. You may notice if you're watching the video. Actually, if you're listening, you may notice the difference. I'm just kidding. You won't notice the difference. I wonder if you can. We have a whole studio set up now. Um, so studio-y. It is studio-y. Um, we have a table, a new table, that right. you may see if you're looking at the video. If you're not looking at the video, go, go check look out at the, the video. Go look at the video. Doing? It's on yeah, YouTube. Busy. Go look at the video. We have a YouTube channel just for no instructions. Just search it up. You will find it. And you can watch us build stuff and see how ugly we are and... All that stuff. Uh, but right now, you may notice that we are at a new table that we just made for this, uh, partially for this show, Uh-oh. for other reasons as well that we're not going to get into yet. But we've um, rearranged this entire space. So now yep. we have a dedicated podcasting table and place and lights and Here, microphones. Yeah, we're going to do a little tour with the camera that we have. We the have cameras used to be on stands, yes. but now we have our own. And we'll do a, I'll do a 360... Panor, there's Anthony, there's stuff, and check out what we have back here. Oh, look at that. A case with Man. most of the sets that we've done. Not That's all the of them, geekiest, but. and it makes me happy, like, display case. We could just have, like, a whole room full of those. Oh, man. Man, and charge entrance, just like they do at Rancho Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're that interesting, but yes. Anyway, it's changed a lot here. It probably won't sound any different, I hope. Mm. That'd be weird. I'm sitting up. A little taller because we have chairs now. Yeah, we have real chairs uh, that are off the ground. Like my feet don't touch the ground. We have a tall table. So moving on up. Um, And now we have to figure out how to deal with all these. Gonna get crinkly. Yeah. Okay. So we're taking. I'm just taking a bag one. I'm doing one and two, and I'll put the rest away. Oh boy! Hold on. Now, somebody asked about this set specifically, if you get to assemble it like it was assembled in space, that would be pretty awesome. Huh. I wonder if that's the case. I kind of guess no. Well, if we did, you could take a picture of the part that your your good friend, Mr. Astronaut Pettit, put together. I don't know. Good friend. Your mega super BFF (laughs) acquaintance. (laughs) Beth acquaintance. Did we talk about... I know we talked, like, about... People who were famous or known last week. We didn't talk about him, did we? No. No. Yeah. 
I met an astronaut one time. No big deal. I met an astronaut before too, but I was like six, and then he came to our school and signed a little piece of paper. So, <laughs> did you have a signed piece of paper? I did not get a signed piece of paper, but I did talk uh, at length about super cool stuff. He is a fascinating. Don Pettit is the person yeah, I'm talking Don about. Pettit. In case you didn't get that, super fascinating person, um, and very very kind and. I think we talked about before the one space shuttle launch that I got to watch was his space shuttle launch. Oh, I'd forgotten about that, yeah. but yeah. So the first bag is actually two little tiny satellites and a shuttle. Ooh, and it's got micro figs. Oh, yeah, because the astronauts are... Those are I don't, cool. I don't know if they're properly to scale, but they're tiny. All right, look at these. These are... Can that focus on that? Probably not. They are oh, so small. This has like the 10 years of Lego ideas sets inside here. This is fascinating. Oh, wow. I love the Lego idea sets. Yeah. They are some of the best. That sets, one? For sure. That one? <laughs> I got that, that one, one and that one. Um, so we, uh, on top of the shifting around of the studio, making it into an actual studio that we've done, we've been doing other things. And so we can totally, totally talk about that. Anything else going on personally with you? Anything new? Anything? No, we've been gone. I don't, yeah. I don't know what's happening with my actual life. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't remember the last the time we were. recorded, and so I don't even know when well, it was in context of where we've been and all that stuff. What did we talk about? But, I remember you told me you didn't love me. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was the only thing I remember from that last episode. <laughs> really I stuck. didn't know that I could hurt so much. <laughs> didn't know. And now I do. <laughs> all right. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. I appreciate that they're talking to everybody in their own language in these Lego Ideas manuals. Yeah. It's like the first quarter of this book. Yeah. It's a lot. It is a little bit much. We're making a space shuttle. Yeah. That's what I just said. I didn't hear you. I was, the first bag. Is I was the, reading the Spanish version and then uh, the French version. I see. The, what? I, do I have? Oh. I don't know. I'm confused. Um, yeah. So we don't know what's been going on with us personally because we haven't been here. And that's because we went to Chicago. 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 We went up uh, a few days ago. Spent basically, I don't know. Half a day and then a full day and then left the next morning. But it was a five and a half hour drive or so, so spent a lot of time in the car. Um, but we went up there because I worked on something, made a modification to an instrument for Rob Scallon. Who's it's, Rob Scallon, Bob? Well, let me let me tell you. He's the guy that I made the shovel guitar for years ago, and he's a really, really talented musician. Uh, does YouTube stuff. And just makes awesome videos and awesome music. And if you don't know who he is, you should go figure out who he is. Cause Absolutely go look it up. Super cool. Um, so we took that thing that I made for him, up to him, and spent the day shooting with him and his crew. And we were in a music studio, and he got to figure this new instrument thing out. And um, that was super fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Him, who's incredibly talented get this thing that he it was a it was a guitar but it had a modification that makes it different to play and to watch him try to figure that out and write a song with it just like right off the bat was pretty awesome yeah that was incredible to watch uh like as a fly on the wall <laughs> it's a guitar i mean that's what he does he is a guitarist he's a musician not only does he play guitar he plays a whole bunch of instruments but his main bag is playing a guitar so we made a thing that alters a guitar in a way that he had never played before. Yeah. And so to watch him, like you could, 
Destin's video about like your brain plasticity and doing something that you know how to do and then having to untrain it. Mm-hmm. Like we got to watch that play out musically. <laughs> I didn't think about it. That yeah, was you're right. super awesome. Cause he was like, I'm breaking my brain right now because every other guitar doesn't do the thing that we made it do. And so he was like, Oh, right here. I would, I would normally not do this or I'd have to do it like that. And you could just watch him like smile and then like play around with it. And then for like a minute straight, bust out a beautiful song. And then he'd mess up one little part and go, Oh, and then go back to like tinkering and playing with it. And you'd see this like building up of confidence. It's like, okay, okay, I'm getting it. And then make us like us, I say us, like we, the people that just passively listened, like a beautiful little song yeah, made from nothing with an instrument that has been played by like a handful of people. Yeah. That was amazing to watch. It was really cool. And it, he was having a blast with it, which made it even better. It wasn't, you know, a frustrating thing. Like when he messed up, he wasn't frustrated because of it. He was like, it was part of that figuring it out, like the testing, how it reacted to him. And it was really cool. Um, so we watched him kind of figure it out for a while. I answered a bunch of questions about it that he had and um, tried to explain some of the, the, what was happening so that he could learn to work around it. And I'm just being really cryptic because I want you to watch the video in a few weeks when it comes out. Um, but it was fun, and he was writing a song as he was figuring it out, figured out a couple of really cool things, and then at the very end of the day, he had this drummer come in who I had never heard of, but good grief. She was amazing. She was incredible. That was so cool. Because she just like walked in, she was like, all right, what are we doing? And he kind of told her a couple of things, and she just... Sat down and knocked it out. Yep. <laughs> it was she amazing. She was, uh, I guess, uh, the guest drummer or a replacement drummer on the Seth Meyers show recently. Yeah, which is pretty wild. Yeah. But I can totally see why, because she's incredibly talented. Was her name Jessica Bard or Bowed or something like that? Hold on, I just followed we'll, we'll put it like in the show notes and stuff, because um, she's really, really talented and really kind. She was really nice. Um so I he put me on bass, and that was pretty uncomfortable Why? <laughs> for me. <laughs> but I knew it was happening, so I mean, we talked about it ahead of time, and so I I prepared a very little bit. But also, it, it you know I was just trying to keep up in the the most basic way possible, and I think it worked out all right. It I think was, you did a great job. No thanks. It was fun, but I definitely felt like the. Uh, the five-year-old in the room of adults who everybody knew what they were doing except for me. And I was just like, I got a guitar. <laughs> you got to fake it till you make it. Exactly. Which is the way I feel about myself as a guitar player anyway. So being in, in that position to where, like, it's really obvious where I am musically, uh, talent-wise, on a guitar to the other people in the room. You know, it was, but it was fine. It was good. That was an interesting thing. I don't know. We recorded for, what was it? I kind of lost track of time. I didn't really know where we were time-wise because we were in there for such a long time. But I don't think we really recorded for like until like the last 30 minutes or so. Uh, it was probably a little bit longer than that hmm. because you guys you guys practiced some uh, without the cameras. And Anthony went out, and Anthony's been recording stuff for a new Between the Build series that we're doing about this trip because we had a lot of amazing behind-the-scenes stuff. So we did our intro after our normal stuff for our videos, and then we just had the cameras rolling along with um, Rob's cameraman and kind of manager, uh, Jake. 
he had a bunch of cameras recording, so it was all over the place. So everything was captured in some version or another. And then it was recorded on the actual like recording studio booth. So I was hanging out in the booth with Rob because you play in the bass. Dif- like Different Rob. Different Rob. Um, you were plugged into the system. He was plugged in. And then Jess or Jessica was out there just like smashing on the drum. So you couldn't hear anything. So I wanted to go into the recording booth and actually hear it. And watching that whole process, like I've never been in a recording studio. I know you have and Anthony has. But as a musician, I've never been in a studio. I've never been cool enough to do that. That process was awesome. It's exactly like you see in like movies and documentaries. Like he had this massive, uh, his was digital, like just set up with all the sliders. And I, you know how the button, like you can't, the people in the in the push studio the can't hear you. I was like, I want to push the button. So I got to push the button. I was just like cracking wise at you guys, and apparently you couldn't hear me. Nope. <laughs> but it was. It, Super fascinating to watch that process with watch people with, and I, I know you're not going to take this compliment very well, but like watching people with real talent make art hmm. in their medium. And I think that that is super fascinating. That's why I like watching cooking videos. Like I like going to plays and things, just seeing people do what they're really passionate about and what just like naturally flows out of them in a non-biological kind of gross way. Like... <laughs> It's really cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, watching musicians perform is one of my favorite things. I mean, the right people. Some people make it super boring and uninteresting. But you can tell when somebody has a physical, emotional, like, full reaction to music. Like, it it affects people differently. Mm -hmm. And you can tell when it affects people in a certain way. And it is so much fun to watch. Um. And I think, like, you know, I was talking about my kind of discomfort with it. I think given a little more time and, like, hearing something and then going into the other room with a guitar for just a couple of minutes would let me... Part of music is screwing up. It's it's really 90% of it is screwing up until you get the thing, the final thing. Especially songwriting. It's all wrong until it's right, and then you have it. And... So I think part of my just like about the whole thing was not having a place to go screw up in private mm-hmm. and, you know, figure out the thing and like goof around until I know that it's not terrible and then come back. It was just right there. And anytime I've ever been in a studio, it's been um, recording songs that I was a pretty major part of the writing process mm. and I'd performed on stage a whole bunch of times. So they were songs that I already had figured out and it was just a matter of doing them as perfectly as you can in that setting. Cause you know, it's, there's a different pressure to recording something that you've played live. Um, but this was entirely different for me because it was just like, I don't know, try to keep up. I'm yep. just going to be up here being amazing on the guitar. <laughs> Here's a couple notes for you. Just try to keep up. I'm and like, that's what oh, I was hey. asking asking Jake and asking other Rob. And I was like, is his intent to get a song out of this? Because uh, Rob Scallon notoriously does the thing where he like writes a song in a day or does an entire album in a day. Like really impromptu, just like letting all the creativity kind of flow. Yeah. And I'm like, is this one of those things? Or is he just like, are they just jamming to test out this guitar and like to make up something for the future? And they're like, we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of happens with him. And talking to Jake, Jake is like, I kind of have to wrangle Rob because he gets so excited and kind of gets in the moment. And one thing I was not used to, he's like, because we have to be done at seven. And I'm like, oh, you guys got somewhere to be? He's like, no, that's how long we have the studio. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to rent that time. Mm-hmm. He's like, we just, I mean, and a lot of people we know just have shops that are usually theirs. 
there's no time limit, like right. a contractual time limit on, on your ability to create something. And he says that Rob just kind of goes and he gets in a flow and Jake asks like, hey, you've got like five minutes left. We've got to do the intro. We've got to do all these things for the YouTubiness of what he's doing. And he says that's one of the harder parts of doing or not really like working with Rob, but like working with musicians that are doing their stuff on YouTube. Mm. Is like we we if focus they don't on, have their own studio, yeah, which is pretty common. Because we we try to focus on the story. Like we have to get all of the parts of the story. Because at the end of the day, if the, if there is no real story, then it's just like a hodgepodge collection of stuff that doesn't really people can't follow. Yeah. And so with him, he's actively just or he's there by himself playing a guitar. And I remember a lot of times he was like, "I know this doesn't make for good video," because he was just in his head trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to play this thing. Uh, and then having to shoot intro, outro, thumbnails, all of that stuff. The, I guess the administrative type duties. <laughs> yeah. Like they have to rush in and do it like the last minute before. Not that other Rob would shut the doors on him, but you know he needs to get, they don't want to have to pay more studio time. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's other people, like even the drummer, like anybody that you bring into the studio, they're, you're paying for their time. Um, especially working musicians, like it matters to them where they are and how much they're getting paid for the time that they're putting in, whether they're friends or not, which totally makes sense. So it was really cool. Um, I would love to go back and do something like that again with a little more preparation. And, you know, I mean, we had a good time with Rob after the fact and came up with some other ideas that we'll do in the future. So I think that something to that effect will probably happen again one of these days. But... Well, my biggest question for you is, did this, uh, how did this affect your desire to play music here coming back? Did it kickstart? Did it affect it at all? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it probably just gave me, I don't know that it actually did anything other than forced me to physically hold an instrument again, which I haven't in a long time. And just that comfort and that familiarity of just like, just playing a little bit was like, oh man, yeah, I should really do that more often. I mean, I did think on the way back, like, I have multiple guitars. I should take one of them up to my bedroom. They've always been down here. They've always been in this space trying to keep all the stuff collected, but I should just take one and put it by my bed. My kids are old enough to know not to touch it. And like, I can just, like, you know, without permission, and I can just play, like, piddle on it. I don't have to try to play. I don't have to try to write. Just hold it and be familiar with it again. Because that's one of my big things about playing music is I don't want to I don't want to play with anyone unless I feel that I'm practiced at least to a base degree. And I don't practice because I don't hold the thing. I don't touch the guitar. I I play keys every once in a while because it's up in our living space and I can sit mm. down, play for five minutes before dinner, and then like I'm I'm good, you know. But it's something. And so I think, if anything, just the handling it again made me think, like, I should just take one upstairs so that I can handle it and I can just get more comfortable with goofing around. And a couple of weeks ago or months ago or something, I was looking for guitar lessons. Have we already talked about this? No. I was looking for uh, a way to learn guitar because (laughs) I've been playing guitar since I was in high school which was a very, very long time ago. Mm-hmm. And when somebody asks me if I play an instrument, my first answer is always keys because I learned from a keys teacher. meaning like keys, piano. And piano, yeah. Got it. I learned how to play that from a teacher and learned 
music theory, which transcends all the instruments. Yep. But I learned it in that context on a piano, which I think personally is the best way to learn an instrument to start because everything else flows from that. But I learned that. And so if somebody asked me what instrument I play, that's what I would say. Because guitar was like, well, everybody's in bands. I'm in high school. Rock music's cool. I should probably learn how to play guitar. So I picked up a guitar and played it, but didn't learn how to play it. And so I don't have the, and a lot of people do that. And it's, that's what I did. It's totally, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that. It's totally fine. But when it comes to my relationship to a guitar versus my relationship to a piano, Mm -hmm. they are entirely different. And so I have this kind of lack of confidence on guitar. I mean, I've, (laughs) this is not a brag. This is for context. I've played since I was in high school. I've been in six bands, I've written 50 or 60 songs, I've recorded seven or eight albums you know i mean it's like i've played a lot of guitar but i am so unconfident and i feel like such a poser when i hold a guitar Hmm. and i've actually had friends of mine that i've played with in the past like make comments about like oh man we need some of some of whatever bob does on guitar because it's always cool and it's so that feels so nice but i'm like man i'm i'm not that i'm faking it the entire time like i don't know what i'm doing i can't you know and I think so that's, what do you mean you don't know what you're doing? Because like I... Uh, because a G chord is a G chord, whether... Right. I have a very limited understanding of how things relate on a guitar. A piano is very linear. It's a big, long lines of repeating patterns. Right. A guitar is the same way, but they're not linear. I mean, no. it's multiple lines, mm-hmm. and they, they line up. But so when it comes to... Uh, like I even understand the music theory of it, the root but, third fifth, but applying the theory to the instrument, I that's where it breaks down for me because I've never right. had to do that. And so, like when I look at a guitar, I know from history where certain individual notes are, and from those notes I can figure out chords. But then, the other ninety percent of the frets, I would have to find a known position and count back to figure out what it is. And I that's think what, pretty common. That is very common, but. Piano, so this is my kind of duality of experience. The guitar feels like that to me. Like, I know the the most basic parts, and I have to count my way into where everything else is. And that makes the creative part of it pretty hard. Whereas piano, I can sit down, I know where everything is, I know how to build Mm. all the chords, I I don't have to think about it, I know keys easily, and it just works better for me. And so anyway, all that to say... A few weeks ago, I started looking at how to how would somebody at this day and age learn how to play guitar remotely? What's the online resource or the you know mobile resource or something that would take someone with zero experience and get them to where they understood the entire guitar, not just bar chords, not just the E string, the whole thing. Yep. And so I started doing some research, asking people, and I found a couple of apps. A Fender has one that looks pretty promising, has a bunch of free lessons, and, and then you can pay for certain types of uh, education on it. I think I'm going to start there, but I really do want to start learning how to play guitar as a complete novice to fill in those gaps, because I think that's one of the biggest hurdles from me making music is just my kind of insecurity around executing like yeah. I can fiddle with it and I can come up with cool stuff that sounds nice and I can add tons of effects and I can write songs. But if you ask me 
what's the root of the thing that you wrote and how does it connect to the bridge of the thing? And I'm just like, I don't know. It sounded cool. I don't know. Yep. But, but with piano, it's not like that. And I th- that's the the thing that's frustrating for me. So you didn't ask for all that. But that's what I've been thinking about music lately. Well, that's good. Yeah. Because I, mean, I would like to play. I just didn't know why because I want to play. And I know that there's a lot of stuff here. And I know that you like music. I like music. Anthony there likes music. And with our powers combined, theoretically, we could be a band. I have to say, though, and this has nothing to do with the two of you. It has to do with me. I, I am super hesitant to play music with other people because I'm so possessive about the things that I've written in the past. I'm so possessive about how it sounds and how it comes out. And in the bands that I've been in, which are, you know, collaboration, obviously, it doesn't always end up like I want it to end up. And that was pretty frustrating for me at some point. So I've been super resistant to joining other bands or finding other people to play with just out of like, I don't know, I guess Fear it's they're selfish. They're not going to do, I, I say we, that anybody yeah. would just do it the way you want them to. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think. I think that that is a, a, well, I shared that. So when we moved to Alabama, I started leading the, the church band. And it was the first time I was like the actual leader of the band. And I remember practice for me was so difficult because I wanted people to play it the way I wanted them to play it. Right. I wanted people to quit wasting time. I wanted to do it correctly. And then once we did it correctly, if you want to add in a little splash of flavor, flavor then hooray. But like, let's quit wasting time and let's do this so that we can get it right and so that we can be happy with the thing that we put out to people. And I remember I got uh, some people were upset with me because of the way that I ran that band. And I'm like, and I understand that. Like, because this is supposed to be fun and hooray. I'm like, but we can have fun after we do it right. And that was the perfectionist in me. And I, there were people that I did not want to play, even though they were very talented. They were more talented than I was. But they didn't focus as much on getting it right as they just wanted to focus on, like, having a good time. Hmm. And I'm like, I guess at church, that's probably the thing that you should be focusing on. The the right fellowship of the whole thing. I'm like, and I, I just want to play it and I want to play it correctly. And so I get that, and especially something that you are creating or that you're trying to emulate that you really enjoy. I think that's another part of it, too, is, like, I personally have zero interest in playing anyone else's music. I've never, I mean, I have played other people's music, um, but it's just, like, not a thing. I've never been interested in cover songs, and so that leaves me to only playing stuff that I've written with my with other people or by myself. And that even, like, narrows the wanting to give control or, uh, you know, relying on other people's creativity, that, that narrows that even more. And this is not a good thing. I'm not trying to, like, justify the way that I feel about music stuff, but I, I have realized over the past several years that I'm super hesitant to play music with people out of my own, I want it to be like I want it to be. Maybe that's, like, the super childish way to think about music, but that's just, like, my reaction to... I don't know. It's so weird because well, I mean, some of the bands I've been in have have been wonderful collaborations, things that I definitely could not have done by myself. But then other ones were like, I was, I was most of it. You know what I mean? I wrote it. I wrote the lyrics. I told the guys how it, it was to be played, and they were like, "Yeah, sure, sounds good." They were just happy to be playing, which was great. So I've been in both of those situations. Whoops. Um. I don't know. I don't know. Well, going back to kind of your sentiment about the guitar making you not as confident because it's not natively your beginning instrument, and it kind of yeah added to that 
that um, decision maybe not to play music with other people. Uh, I played the bass, and I played the bass because my brother played the guitar, and I played the bass by sound. Uh, I took piano lessons when I was a kid, and I was really impatient, and I wanted to play more than the little tap-tap little kid songs. I didn't want to put in the grunt work, and so I was really bored with it. And so when I played the bass, like I could play whatever I wanted to play, and I could pick up, um, I could pick up, was it like the, not Guitar Hero, music like the magazine guitar, or something. Oh. It had all the tabs in it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I can play all the songs I want to play. Give me a foundation. Maybe I can understand notes, and then I can start to play what I wanted to play after that. And it seemed like a much faster way to get to where I wanted to go. But it didn't talk about music theory. It didn't talk about why certain notes were after another, and why certain ones sounded great next to each other, and why sound, certain ones sounded terrible. Um, it left, it didn't leave you a lot of room for uh, improvisation, because right. a lot of improvisation in music isn't really improvisation. It's just you're following a, a chord progression, and you're just doing it in a nicer sounding way. Improvisation is knowing the rules of music and either yeah. following them or breaking them. Like, that's what it is. Intentionally breaking the rules is often how, like, that's how jazz works, you know? Yeah, and when I took, you talked about an online resource. For bass players, there's a, a YouTuber uh, that runs a channel called Scott's Bass Lessons, and he has an online kind of school that walks through a lot of theory, talks about the root, third, fifth chord progression and how where that is on the bass and why it sounds that way, and then how to play the bass in a band because it's a support mm. instrument. Like, you are there to outline a chord. Right. You're not there to drive stuff. And it was like all this like, <laughs> like sounds neat. He's like, but that's, it can get really overwhelming and pretty annoying. And that's not your place. Right. And so to add highlights in a bass, but like you're saying, do it within the confines of music theory. And that was really telling because before I just, I wanted to be, uh, there's a bass player called Les Claypool, who's the, the lead singer and the front man for the band Primus. And he's the, the bass is the lead in that band. So I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to slap. I want to do all this awesome stuff. And then when I played in, in a band, uh, my high school band, I tried to do more. I tried to be louder than everybody else because I just thought the bass was such an awesome sound. And then when I started playing music in church, uh, I quickly learned, like, what I now know is like, no, 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 you're there to hit to help with the rhythm and to outline chords. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Stop with all the extra stuff that you're trying to do. Go stand there in the back. And so it was kind of wavering. I'm like, well, I really like what I'm doing. I like that the feeling that you can like feel a sound that I get from a bass rather than a guitar. But it's taken me. I mean, when I led music, and I was talking about earlier, I played the acoustic guitar, and then I started playing the bass much later. And I was surrounded by amazing musicians, people that knew how to play together, people that were in orchestras. And I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna see right through me that mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I had to have the the music. And I would look on the music, and I would write out everything I would need to know. If I wanted to get splashy, I'd write a little spot in there. You can get splashy right here, but go up to this one. All the things that you would learn in music theory and you would understand within the confines of how to put a piece of music together, I would just like do it like this, and it sounds nice. And anybody else would go, well, yeah, that's what you were supposed to do, not just because you just figured this out. Like, yeah, it's that's not some revelation that you just stumbled across. That's day one of how to play guitar, or how to play bass, right? So I did, and a part of me, everywhere that we would go, was like, I want to play. I love playing music. I'm like, but I'm not good enough to play with those people. Those people know what they're doing. Hmm. I'm faking it. 
But the minute that I can play the song, I play the song and everybody's happy. I'm like, hey, I did that song right. And I added the splashy parts within the confines of music theory. Hooray for me. I'm like, but I'm still not good enough to play in this band. And then I would be, uh, again, I played in church band. So like every other Sunday or every Sunday I would play and it would sound great. And I'm like, yeah, that was super fun. I had such a good time, but I'm not a real musician. You guys are real musicians. Mm. And it's that weird imposter syndrome that you have. I think with any skill or hobby that you're trying to master and you go into a group blind and obviously it's like, oh, that person, that person is the graduate level master welder or potter or whatever. And then you just try to build up those skills and you still don't feel like you're good enough. And I'm facing that now. And I faced that when we moved here because I wanted to play music at church. I'm like, man, these guys, these guys know what's up. They've got lights and they've got all this stuff. And it's like, (laughs) it's a show. And uh, I've played at that level, but I've worked up to that level, I'll say. And this church was like, okay, well, we'll have auditions. I was like, oh my God, I've never auditioned before. This is going to be terrible. And she's like, well, we'll send you the song. And then like a couple weeks later, you come in and just play with everybody. And I'm like, oh, I've played this song before. I've played this song in this key before. Hmm. I know where to, I can get splashy in this song because I've done it before. I'm like, oh, well, this should be okay. I'm like, man, I'm so scared. And I talk to people that are in the band right now. They're like, why are you freaking out about this? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, you know the song. I'm like, yeah, I do. They're like, well, then calm down and just play the song. Yeah. But it's that same thing. Like, I, I feel like there's some spotlight that's going to be put on me and everybody's going to see through the fact that I am not as good as they are, but I have no idea how good they are either. Right. And so I'm yeah. going on the assumption that I am automatically the weak, the weak link mm-hmm. because I'm nervous. Right. It's not that I'm not capable. It's not that I don't enjoy what I'm doing. It's not that I'm being forced to do it. It's the unknown. Yeah. And especially when you're put on, literally put on stage to perform in front of other people, that's pretty nerve wracking. Right. But I mean, it's the same kind of thing where you, you haven't played with those people and that's a big part of it. But as soon as you do play with them, that, that unknown step, that one thing is gone. Then you've played with them after you do it. And so that like, well, I'm just the odd man out. Now I'm the new guy, which is a different thing. It's a different stress, but then that goes away and now you're just part of the band. And now, you know, so figuring out individual songs and and how to play certain songs with certain people is kind of down the road from just playing with those people the first time. And so like that will be out of the way as soon as you do the audition. Um, Yeah, I mean, I totally, totally know what you mean because i mean i was in that position yesterday <laughs> or the day before <laughs> and coming here like, and it was just like, like i don't know what to do and rob's really good at everything and he I'm was just, super patient and honestly oh, I yeah don't, he was amazing and i i'm gonna say this to you that i imagine people have said to me before is it you did great oh thanks and as as bad or as as out of tune i i, I heard you kind of mention those things like everybody is their own worst critic and you're going to point out all the little faults in what you do. And especially musicians, because it has that like little, that was a dissonance that yeah. like you can tell when something's a little off. Yeah. But you did a really good job. Mm-hmm. And if there are little things to critique, it's not much. And if you are put on the spot in front of a person who is extremely crazy talented and able to improv- improvise the way that he did, like that's very difficult to step up to any plate, like to be put in that situation. It's like if you went up to Picasso and you're just like, hey, man, I got some paint that I found. You're like, yeah, let's paint together. <laughs> you're like, what are we going to paint? Like, I don't know. We're just going to paint. 
And then he looks at you and goes, hey, man, paint that side. And you're like, uh, <laughs> okay. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a heavy heavy task that you yeah. have. And I think you did great. Well, thanks. It was kind of interesting. Like, in, you know, last week we talked about the other musician that I had the conversation with. And there was the same kind of feeling, but it was it was a totally different situation. But the same kind of feeling of like, holy snot! Like, who am I talking to? This person is incredibly talented, and even though I have a history in music, it, like, oh man, I'm like nowhere near, you know. Not, I mean, I don't have the chance of playing with this person, but it was just like a, it was a weird divide that I hadn't felt in a long time between, like, my skill in a thing versus the person that I was talking to and their skill in that kind of same thing. Um, and so that was weird to be on the phone, and then to be in the studio is just kind of reiterating that a little bit. But I think, to your original question, I think one of the... It did affect me in making me want to get comfortable again. Make, making me want to... Not that I expect to be in that situation of being stuck in a recording studio and have to do something very often, but like, I would like to be comfortable enough to know that I could, you know, I could, yeah. I could, I could be there and enjoy it and not feel nervous about it and not feel like I have to figure out how to perform. Um, so I don't know. It was good. It was it was a really fun time, and I think I probably will start playing a little more music here and there. Nothing serious, but you know, piddling around. Well, I got tired of having that feeling. Yeah. So I talked to the girl who leads the band. They have like two different bands that play at the same time at different parts of the church. But I'm like, I want to play. I have the ability. I have the desire. Um, I want to play in your band now, please. Yeah. She was like, great, we need bass players. I'm like, well, that's good because that's, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> and pardon me, it was always an excuse. Uh, I had my bass and when we went in, I've had three. At one point, I've had a collection of three different basses at at any given moment. And now I've sold some, given some away. And then the last one I had, when we went to the RV, I gave it away to somebody. And so when I'm, we moved here, I'm like, oh, I want to play music again. That would be fun because now I can have an amp because the RV, we had to, everything oh, yeah. had to save weight. And so with a bass, you have to have an amp because it's pretty much almost silent if you're not. And I'm like, well, I don't even have a bass anymore. And that was the the impetus between or behind making my own bass. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, now there's there's nothing else for you to fall back on. There's no reason no why excuse. you can't do this. Yeah. It's just you're scared, and you have to admit that you're scared, and that you're nervous, and that you feel like you're an imposter. But then she gave me the music, and I'm like, I can play this. There's no reason I can't. Hmm. And at the our old church in Georgia, they used to play some originals. Hmm. And that was really fun because a lot of – a lot of church music, a lot of like popular Christian music. Like I don't know the names of these songs. I didn't like you guys were talking at, at lunch one day. Like I didn't grow up listening to to Christian music as a teenager. Uh, I grew up listening to very secular rock music, and I, we played covers, and we had a couple original songs that weren't that great. But I just liked playing something and like investing that emotion that I would normally be very reserved about. Like I could just kind of let it out when I played music, and. I, I feel that at, at church, like, I I want to be able to convey that emotion that I normally don't have. I'm not a, sticking my hands in the air, kind of like hooting and hollering, but, like, that's where I connect with my faith. That was the, the, yeah, the door absolutely. that allowed me to connect with my faith was through music. I am 100% with you on that. 100%. And 
there's always that part every time we go somewhere. We talk about like there's a term called church shopping. Like when you go to a new town, which is totally bad. When you go there, you're like, I, don't, I like this place. I don't like this place. And it's listening to listening to the pastor. But then I'm like, all right, I want to hear the band because I want, that's where I feel like I can serve in a church. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> everywhere we've went, I'm like, I want to play in this band. I want to help. I want to do my part that I feel like I can do. And so stop making excuses and just do it. Yeah. And like coming here, like you have instruments. I'm looking at all of the instruments right now. And I remember that like the day that I first started working, I'm like, yes, I can play music again. And I'm like, hey, Bob, we should play some music. And then we quickly divert the subject. And for all the reasons that you're talking about right now. And I'm like, well, maybe um, Bob is in a band and he's got a CD over there, the record that they made. And I'm like, maybe I'm just not good enough to play over here. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm probably not. He's got Rhodes and he's got an actual Les Paul. I'm like, you've got a, I have access to a Les Paul. It's like, it's not this, this unattainable thing. It's music. It's art. It can be whatever you want it to be. And then it was like all of those things kind of mixed together. And then at one point going, this is stupid. If you want to play music, then just go play. And so I have an audition, I don't know, a week or two away. I don't actually remember when I should probably look. <laughs> be bad. Oh yeah, it was two weeks ago. Huh. Bad if I missed it. Uh, you know. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, I, and just because I don't necessarily want to play music over here doesn't mean that the music, the instruments can't be played. You know, um, I think one thing that I just while you were talking, I realized is that the time that I used to was there was a big part of my life where I played tons of music. We didn't have any kids, and so we practiced one night a week we played shows most weekends you know it was like that was a big part of my free time and then when we had kids i still wanted to play music didn't have the band anymore people moved away and stuff and so my free time in the night in the evening became music and i would you know we would get the baby in bed and i would go down and play music and record it and put it on YouTube and stuff. And so that was when I did that was extra time. Then when I like to make stuff started as a hobby, it pretty much replaced that extra time in my life, which was music. Music got pushed aside and got replaced with making projects. And then over many years that became bigger and bigger. And then it ended up replacing my job but then required so much that the free time aspect of my life, the nights, never got replaced with music. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it got pushed out of the cycle because there were more kids and there's more family obligation and stuff like that. So, but it just dawned on me that that's where that fit at one point. And so there hasn't been an open slot for it to fit in again since then. Um, and I'm not really sure how it would make that happen at this point in my life but that's why it it kind of got pushed out and then it goes to that whole thing where I don't really want to do it unless I'm comfortable doing it but I can't get comfortable unless I do it a weird cycle of you know whatever I mean because I would love to to I really enjoyed making this sounds so dumb now that I say it out loud but I really enjoyed making music 100% by myself doing all the parts writing the thing figuring out how to play drums to something because I'm not a drummer, but being able to passively do it, you know, just to fill in the thing. That was a lot of fun. And I loved like doing that for YouTube. It was just layering stuff. And because I think when it comes down to it, I'm, 
I would enjoy being a producer, being a person in a studio that helped everybody get the best out of their performance and mm-hmm. get the sounds and be able to take somebody's music and like, yeah, I think I would be a, a good producer because I like taking other people's performances and their songwriting and adding to it and like filling in and fleshing out a lot of the stuff about songs. And so I think that's why I like writing and recording by myself is because it's that process of starting with something really basic and then just layering and, you know, filling out and building from like a single line. You build out this thing. But anyway. The hardest part I had being in a band was, um, I remember like the songwriting process, I was, I wasn't really a part of the songwriting, like lyrical process because I didn't have. I don't know. I was always very self-conscious and it's, it's a very, um, you're, you're open to a lot of criticism. <laughs> yeah. Like not even just like performing, but especially if you were writing lyrics or if you're writing music, like that's a reflection of kind of who you are on the inside. And that's a lot of like tortured souls have a lot to pour out and it's, it's a lot to take sometimes and you're being very vulnerable and I never wanted to be that vulnerable. So if I, I've written songs, but they're in like a slip of paper folded in half in like that little box that a lot of people keep like that they keep all their little secret things in. Mm. I have a couple of those and I have no desire to let those out because I don't know. That's extremely vulnerable more than anything. But I remember when I was in a band, the guy who wrote the songs, I would kind of giggle because he would write these like really brooding songs and it would come from a, like an honest place. And I'm like, shut up. Your life's not that bad. And I remember thinking now that I'm an adult, like that was terrible. Like I just messed up that person's outlet. Mm. And even though I was kind of half joking with my friend, like, I and the way I reacted to him was what I imagined everybody would react to me. So I, oh. I, hmm. I bullied somebody musically, and I feel bad now. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, um, other than playing at church, do you have any other aspirations or interest in doing more than that musically, or is that you think that'll scratch the itch? No, I mean I want to play as much as I possibly can. I love playing music. My wife has played the saxophone since middle school. She was first chair all throughout high school. She and my son are now taking piano lessons because I guess she's always wanted to play piano. So in the same thing, she is learning, and then she's kind of teaching me the the reverse of what you had. So she would learn scales, and she would learn music theory on the saxophone, and I kind of learned it after the fact, like as an adult on the bass. And then going like the root third, fifth of a chord, I'm like, that's just right there on a piano? Like, bang, like you're just... <laughs> wow. I'm like, that's so much easier. You can just yeah. keep skipping your hand on up. Like if you were to make the claw hand like with your hand and you're just hitting it the entire time. She's like, oh, well, this is a major seven. You just, you don't hit the fifth, you hit the seven. And I'm like, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah. Like, Whoa. You just stretch your pinky out a little farther. Yeah. I'm like, if I'm doing that on the guitar, it's a completely different like hand origami. Right. And, and it, that to me was just like memorization and less of the the theory of where to put your like it's this note plus this note plus this note plus that one and on the piano it made way more sense because like you're saying it's linear and you just can it's a gigantic scale yeah i was like whoa that's it connected a dot i had no idea that was connectable and by all like reality it's music it's all the same thing right but i think and that's why i said that at the beginning that i think a piano is the way to teach somebody music it's not the only way but i think it is a way that most people can look at and totally understand music theory from the perspective of a keyboard easier than they can any other instrument because it is a repeating linear scale 
You take anything that has hand position, uh, you know, any any horn or any woodwind or guitar, and it's there's this weird physicality that you have to overcome that seems really disjointed from the theory, but the piano is straight one for one. First, third, fifth, it's because they are one, three, yeah, three and, and five, five notes apart yep. on the keyboard. <laughs> and when I when I saw that played out, like I don't know how I didn't understand the root third fifth of something. Like because you couldn't see it. I mean it, it that's why it yeah. it's difficult for mm. if you don't see it. And on I'm the like, piano. it's that simple, it's just the first and then the third and then the fifth. I'm like, well it's not just a clever name, I suppose. Yeah. But I think I don't, you know, back to why I feel like a poser on guitar is because I've not been able to translate that stuff to a guitar in the same way. Well, I think on a bass, it's a touch easier because, I mean, depending on the tempo of the song, you don't play them all at the same time. Like, there are very, very seldom occasions that I ever played a chord on the oh, bass. right, yeah. And so when, when I say that you're outlining a chord, like the root, the third to fifth, or the seventh, or the whatever, you're trying to, like, monkey paw your hand in a way to play all those at one moment and then, like, boom, change to the next and change to the next... So you're doing this like hand tai chi kind of stuff, depending on the tempo of your song. It, it's very awkward. It hurts your hands. It hurts your fingers. But on the bass, you have the entire measure to figure all those out. And so you're not doing them all at the same time. Mm. And I would I could say confidently that it's easier on a bass because you, you're not playing every single note. All right. But even on the guitar, it was really fun to like to memorize those. And in my mind, it made no sense. It was like chemistry to me. There we go. Mm. It was like chemistry. Chemistry obeys laws if you know them all. And to me, it was like, well, what's chloride? Chloride is that. And I was like, well, why? I'm like, I don't know. It's just that. Yeah. It's rote memorization. <laughs> what's an A, a minor? A minor is this. But why? Well, because I put my two fingers like this and then my one finger over there. That's why. And... It was fun to memorize all of those. Hmm. But to understand, like we're talking about, the theory behind it, bah. nah, I could just memorize it. It'd be fine. Yeah. But I mean, the theory stuff really does make a difference. And, and I think the longevity of somebody playing music, um, because it, you don't have, eventually, you don't have the struggle of, I'm going to fiddle around until I hear something that sounds good, which is totally a legitimate way to write music. And, you know, I'm not this and that. But yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. And so when you have an understanding of music theory, it cuts down on that uh, fumbling yep. and, and lets you just practice a known format. And then as you practice that known format, you start to hear things pop out that work together because they should work together. And then, like I said, jazz is often breaking those rules intentionally and trying to work around music theory <laughs> kind of well on the bass jazz is awesome because i always wanted to know how to play it was called a walking bass line mm -hmm. and i've always been really interested in doing it i thought it was just a bunch of random notes that were strung together that sounded good and when i took uh, that guy scott's bass lesson when i took his walking bass line course like it's just the root third fifth like played in a different tempo and then like maybe a harmonic to skip to the next one and i'm like that's all you're doing I'm like, why in my head, not in understanding music theory, I thought things were so much more difficult. I thought that I was just randomly throwing darts at something and it just sounded good. So it, I eventually maybe got a bullseye. But if you know chord progression and you know the basics 
of music, like you're talking about. Like a walking bass line is just hitting every note in a chord, and then you just keep going. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a transition in between the two. And it made that so much better and so much yeah. more fun. And then you can look at a, at a sheet music. Instead of going, I have to memorize this entire song so I don't mess it up. I go, oh, well, that's a G. And it goes C, G, C, G, D, whatever. And then into the no, bridge. But it's you, you need far less information oh, yeah. than you would if you're just trying to make it up as you go along. Yeah. Because when I would play a song in a church, like I would eyeballs non-blinking looking at the music to make sure that I don't miss a single thing. <laughs> yeah. When someone's like, oh, it's in a key of G. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to play. Or, oh, we're going to need to transpose up because this song is in a, a – it's not in the range of, of this one singer. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. They're like, we're going to go up two octaves. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then I kind of learned. I'm like, okay, hold on. Now this is a math problem. And I need a minute to figure it all out. And then I became a weak link in my head and kind of physically. Like, you guys have to wait on me to figure oh, right. this out. Processing. Yeah. Processing. Yeah. But I, I wish, I mean, I probably wouldn't have listened to my older self anyway. But if I could go back in time to tell my younger self to be to slow down and calm down with music theory, it would benefit a, a whole lot of stuff later on. Oh, yeah. But, it, I mean, it's super hard to get any kid to believe that, uh, you know, if you're even when I was learning piano, it's like I didn't learn or I didn't understand what I was learning at the time about music theory because it's like I want to play songs. Yep, I want to rock and out. Music please. theory is not songs, <laughs> you know. So I mean, it's difficult to try to get any kid or young person or rock, you know, person who wants to play rock music or whatever to invest in that thing that doesn't seem tangible at the time. Yeah. And it, but at the same time, you can totally learn it after the fact after you've been playing music for years. It's not like it helps as a foundation, but it's not required as a foundation, and it can totally come in later on and enhance how you already play. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in that moment kind of makes you – it made me – I'm not going to project. It made me feel dumb because mm. it was there the whole time. Oh, okay. I just didn't know how to look at it. Right. And I, I wasted so much effort. Like you talked about, like making a song but not knowing you waste a lot of effort. Like I've wasted so much time. And that, like, I'm not good enough feeling was rooted in you don't really know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you have to do every single teeny tiny little step and memorize every single teeny tiny little piece to where if you knew that basis, then it would make the whole rest of that experience so much easier and yeah. give you the confidence to go like, okay, if they do change something or if I have a piece of music, I go, yeah, I can figure this out. Right. It's, it's not as hard as I'm making it in my head. Yeah. Yeah, I think then you'd be more apt to actually go and do right, and and the creativity is not then blocked by mechanics, yep. which is what happens a lot of times. And that's what happens with me on guitar. So, so I'm gonna start learning guitar again. Still been doing Italian, which is kind of along the same lines. I took some French in high school, and I learned you know enough to to do the classes and stuff, and I did fine. But like I didn't have any reason to learn it. But then after that, it was always like, well can't say that I know French because I only knew what was you, required. You knew French like an American high school student knows yeah. any foreign language? But then it was like, I wonder if I could actually get myself at this point in my life to learn another language. And then going to Italy last year was a good reason to, to start that. And then I didn't expect to go back to Italy. But I was like, I'm going to keep learning this just, just to keep my brain like trying to figure something else out. 
And then because I've been learning it, this year I was like, we need to go back to Italy. Hmm. Like, I'm going to, not that I'm confident enough to use it probably still, but um, man, adverbs. <laughs> adverbs <laughs> are confusing in other languages. It's like, you know, learning how to say chicken and kitchen and mouse. Got it. Yep. Really? However, sometimes, oh, goodness, that stuff is difficult. See, a lot of foreign language for me was the same thing. Like, I went through five years of French, started in middle school and eventually ended up through high school. And knowing, like, these are IR verbs and RE verbs and a lot of things follow, like, a, a logical conjugation kind of method. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you're like, it's just memorizing words. Yeah. That's a cucumber. That's yeah. a building. That's a whatever. And I tried to find the logic through it, even like getting out of my native English speaking. I'm like, if I was French, how would this word make sense? And like with adjectives or things end in ing, there's a kind of logic to it. But it went back to just like, no, you have to memorize that. Yeah. And especially the special cases where they're like you, you can come up with some sort of logical translation thing, which I've done a lot with uh, Italian. But then there's certain things that are just, I mean, English is the worst of them. Oh all, yeah, English. But is there are certain things it. that are just totally break the mold, and you just have to default to memorizing them. So I mean, and even not even the word, you have to you have to memorize the um, the gender of the word. Yeah. Which I remember thinking, like, man, that's that's just unnecessarily difficult for you. Yeah. Like, it's a shirt. No, a man's <laughs> shirt is feminine, but a lady's shirt is masculine. And so this, at a certain point, it was like, well, the, the misogyny is like, well, if this is dealing with the house or dealing with being pretty, it's feminine. And if it's dealing with, like, work or something toilsome, like, this is masculine. But then it started to break that. Yeah. yeah. And then when I lived in Belgium... I remember, like, I'm not even going to try unless it was something that I absolutely remembered or if it, like, began with a vowel. Like, I'm not even going to try to guess at the gender of vowels or uh, vowels of nouns. Mm. And people were extremely nice about it. Yeah. Just because you're you're putting in the effort. And I, I want to know how important it is for them, to be honest with you. Because, like, when the iPhone was invented, was there some national thing? They were like, <laughs> this is now feminine. <laughs> Like, yeah, I wonder how that is applied or if it, it defaults to one or the other now for new, you know, words that come in from other languages. Because there's tons of English words that have just carried over into other languages. Mm-hmm. iPhone, internet. Cookies. Stuff like that. Yeah. Which is fun because in French they, they don't have like cookies. And so when they accepted that from American culture. The internet cookies, you mean? No, like actual cookies. Oh. Like you chocolate chip and yeah. peanut, like they didn't really have that as a thing. So when it was adopted, they say cookies with an S, even though you're getting one. Oh. So they pronounce it as a plural, or we would say as a plural, even though they don't, because it's an American word. <laughs> That's funny. And it's one of those goofy things. And yeah. I, I fully admit that English, with everything else, is probably, is, I would admit, the hardest of all languages, yeah. even though we speak it natively. But understanding the – trying to tie it all back to music, like understanding the basis and the rules for things – even though you can't get the very tiny minutia, or is this a masculine? Is Lego masculine or feminine? I don't know. It's supposed to be a brick for all genders. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but understanding how to put a sentence together in another language. Yeah. It, it's adjectives going before, after, beauty, age, goodness, size, that kind of thing. Like, it, if your sentence structure 
or if you're able to convey 80 to 90% effectively, right. that last little bit is not that big a deal. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was first starting Italian, I was thinking about like, or I was trying to speak it in Italy or wanting to, didn't actually try very much, but I had this like, I'm going to look like an idiot and they're going to think I'm stupid and it's dumb American, can't learn the basics of a sentence. But then I think about like people from everywhere else in the world that come to America and try to, or any English speaking place and try to speak English there's a lot of brokenness to their sentence structure. You get the nouns and the verbs. And I never think twice about, like, I can't believe that Polish person is such an idiot. Yep. Or that Russian person should have known how to... No. They're, like, doing their best. And if it gets across and I can help them... Like, I don't think badly about them because they're trying to learn another language. So why would Italians think that about me? <laughs> that empathy extends far past what Americans believe. Hmm. That like, oh, French people are rude. I used to hate hearing that from a bunch of Americans that would come over to visit or people that were new to the country. I'm like, put yourself in their shoes. Like you live in, say, like Alabama or rural Kentucky. And if someone just comes up to you like machine gunning Italian at you and you're like, whoa, hold on. I don't know what you're saying to me right now. Right. And then they get mad at you because you don't understand what they're saying. Right. And then they ugh, you're like, I don't know what just happened. Right. I'm like, that, that's what you're doing. And hmm. you're speaking louder. And you're getting upset that because you have this ethnocentrism that everybody should speak English or everybody should understand American culture, that when they don't, like that person, that native person is wrong. Right. And it always bugged me when people had this negative perception of people in France, particularly because, I mean, in popular culture, it's like there's a stereotype that people in Paris or French people are just like, oh, they're rude or they're whatever. Like yeah. that is not the case or my experience at all. It's if you try. I think anybody has – any reasonable person would have empathy for someone who is attempting. Yeah, yeah. There was a little convenience – not even convenience store. <clears throat> this little like general store down the street from my house. And I used to go there and the lady that worked there would know that I just would walk around and I would like, guess you like, what is this? And she would tell me. I'm like, okay, I got to commit that to memory. Right. What is this? And like I knew what it is. But I didn't know how to say it and I would – and eventually – she would walk in and she would have things for me, like on a counter. <laughs> Today's your your lesson. Yeah, is. and I would like I would buy something from her because I, I didn't know what certain things were. They would have things in like a deli counter that I, as an American, had never seen before. So I would buy something, and then she would have a little grammar lesson. That's awesome. And then she had a map on the wall, and she would ask me stuff in English, and I would ask her stuff in French. And so it was just little like reciprocal. That's cool. Language lesson. Hmm. But just that walking into, a, say, a store, if you're a shopkeeper, I imagine you're pretty excited when people want to walk into your store and buy something. Yeah. Like, unless you're in some place where you've had a lot of bad experiences, people walking into your business is usually a good thing. Right. <laughs> and so starting off with an empathetic or a, a helping or kind kind of nature, it's just a really good human yeah. trait. Yeah. But when you're going into a foreign language... Going like you're not, unless you're just so wrong where you're openly insulting them, which I think, I think that's that part of it. Yeah, would be hilarious because imagine <laughs> that Italian person walking in and was like, "Hello, may I have some of your butt toilet paper dishwasher?" <laughs> and you're like, "Holy crap, that was hilarious!" And then they're like, "Oh my god, I feel so bad," and then they want to leave. Like that's not the case. You're like, "Okay, that was great. It was like 100 percent wrong." Yeah. And that happened to me. My very first day in Belgium, I think we talked about it, with the lady with the Twilight books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that happened the very first day. Now, well, I think I can only go up from here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I realize now that I shouldn't have been as worried about 
offending. And honestly, I think I think I was less worried about offending in Italy from the incorrect words as more as the the pronunciation. Did we already talk about this? I don't know. Keep talking. I felt like and this may offend somebody and I apologize, Italian people, if I offend you here. I felt like Americans had this and we do have a very bad overblown stereotype of pronunciation of Italian words. Of the da 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 the hands and then the you know, we That's a very cartoony depiction of people. Stereotype of how Italian is spoken. It's very up and down and up and down. There's lots of hand movements and and stuff like that. And so I was afraid that I this thing that we Americans see in Italian language that I was going to carry that over. And so when I was trying to learn certain words, I was like muting their pronunciation, Hmm. trying to flatten it so that I didn't overcorrect and just come off as like somebody who's making fun of them in their own language. Right. And so I got over there and it was really like, I I don't know how to pronounce these things without having that like, that up and that rhythm and that up and down thing. And then I'm listening to him talk and I'm like, it's not really a stereotype. That's like how the language works. And it's like, I I don't know. It it really caught me off guard because I just went into it with one expectation and kind of decided ahead of time, like, well, I'm not really going to try this because I'm going to offend somebody. And then I'm listening to them all. I'm like, why didn't I learn it that way? Like, I should have just leaned into it and learned some of that stuff, you know, to, to make it, I don't know. Emulating. I had uh, I had a Belgian police officer one time that we were somewhere. Oh, our helicopter almost crashed. That was one time I almost died. Hmm. Landed in this field, middle of nowhere, and the like police showed up because there's this helicopter in the middle of these people's town. And we got taken to this police station just to kind of hang out. I don't really know why. But I was at this police station, and I'm in this... <laughs> this sounds really funny now. I was in this jail cell with me and my friends. <laughs> just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were just like, needed a place to hang out. The door wasn't locked. And so this policeman come around the corner, and they were, like, watching a TV show. And I had never seen a TV show. So I, I spoke French, and at that time, my confidence was up pretty high. And I went out and just started speaking to this police officer. I didn't really – I hadn't said very many words to him because I was busy, like, worrying about the helicopter stuff. And so I just went out, and there was probably four or five police officers watching TV. And I just come out there and start speaking French to them. And they all turned around and looked at me weird. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? And the guy in French was like, are you American? I'm like, yes. And I said yes in English, and they looked at me again. They're like, your pronunciation is really good. Like, you're doing mm. this really well. And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. Huh. But that was all from just reciprocating the actions and, like, the nonverbal cues of someone else. And I think that goes to music as well, like being able to play off of people, like oh, the yeah. leader of the band, yeah. not knowing every single thing. And if you want to get creative, just kind of do what they're doing. Yeah. Even though I might know where this is going to lead. And so there's a the, the inflection or the how reserved you are in certain words. You're like, ah, oh, you know, no. Like those were like these little sounds. I remember a lot of the French speakers in, in Belgium should go, like a lot, hmm. whenever they were just like, no, kind of thing. They yeah. would make this sound. And so I would make that sound and it would trip people up. They're like, you're American. It was like a localism. That, yeah. yeah. And it was really easy hmm. to emulate because when you're ingrained in it, and I think that, um, that method of just being so flooded by the culture 
Yeah. Hey. Immersion. Yeah, that's yeah. the word. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And they would do a thing like, oh, it's not possible. It was this thing that's like it's something that you couldn't get. Obviously, it's the same word, but just the cultural, like, you need to calm down what you're doing. You want too fast. You need to relax. Hmm. Is a very French and Belgian, like, just cultural staple. And so as an American, if you wanted stuff and you were trying to rush and you wanted to get it done, like, yeah, you're going to come tomorrow and we're going to get this finished and we're going to do this, this, this. And they're like, ah, oh, this is not possible. Mm. And so if you just went and you had a little, little mind shift change to like, I need to slow down. I need to not say as many words as I'm trying to. And just the way you kind of carry yourself uh, can fool a lot of people. Hmm. Even though you may know 50 to 30% just emulate what you yeah. see. Huh. And from afar, and I think as Americans, because we have this very strange bias throughout the rest of the world needs to act like we act, if you just kind of let that go and go like, well, this is what they're doing. They're yeah. comfortable. Yeah. Be I like, want to be comfortable. Yeah. A plus B equals act like them. Yeah. And it used to carry over in how I spoke English to people. And I used to get made fun of because I would speak French. And in my little American unit, there were 12 of us and that I worked with. Um, if someone, if a, a local spoke English, I would start to speak English like I was oh, yeah. a Frenchman speaking English to them. <laughs> and they would go, why do you do that? I'm like, why do I do what? And I would speak to them like I would normally. Like, you're speaking like a weird English French to them. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they come back. I I'm do like, not understand. And, like there were somebody would come talking like, oh, yes, that's very good. Thank you very much. And it was way better than that stupid Borat impression I just did. <laughs> But I would not hear myself do it because yeah. that, like, I'm trying to match a mannerism or match the way somebody does something was just so ingrained at that point. Hmm. And I don't know if that's a military thing where it's like if everybody's doing it and you're doing it too, then no one's wrong. Hmm. And so it may – if Madame Lanou in my eighth grade and ninth grade French class heard me speaking that way, I would not get high marks. <laughs> But my landlord and the cop at the jail cell and the lady at the bakery and the, the plumber and whoever else, yeah. I, I fit in and I was complimented. Hmm. So every app, every American way of doing something, like, that's great. Yeah. Go be in, you know, immersed in a culture and see how they do it. Yeah. And it's one thing that, that's really cool that I think will help with that, with the Italian stuff for me, is we're going... Um, to hang out with Jocko and his crew of guys that work with him. I think it's all the same that were there last year when I was there. So I've met them. Some of them speak English well, some not so well. But we're going to be with them and probably not with anybody else. And so, like, there's no chance of me offending them by mm. doing something wrong. And so that's actually a pretty good testbed of oh, yeah. just trying to speak it and messing up and, like, it totally being okay and so whereas last year those same guys i didn't know them so i didn't have that you know kind of easy out but anyway we're running kind of long we should probably wrap it up anything else you want to go over i'm not gonna ask you to play music anymore <laughs> and this is not being mean this is not doesn't don't take it that way i felt like maybe i was putting undue pressure in some way hmm. and when i was watching you play the bass the whole time i was thinking i hope he's having fun hmm because I know it's something that you love to do. It's a huge part of you, and you haven't done it in a while. And not that I'm trying to crack some code or try to like reach you on some philosophical level, yeah. but I know it's something that you like to do. 
And if you want to do it in private, I thought maybe like offering, well, Anthony and I could play too. I thought maybe I was helping with that. Oh, right. But if that's not the case, which sounds like it's not, I won't do that anymore. Not as a pouting, (laughs) but as to not put pressure on you or try to coerce you into doing something that you wouldn't want to do in the way you don't want to do it. Yeah. I think I think I will get back to playing eventually, but I think it's there's a probably a long period of of alone muscle memory buildup and comfort level with instruments and stuff that needs to happen before I would like even try to play recreationally with anybody. It's just Anthony, I could play. Yeah. You guys can play. Or a rock out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll send all the noise the kids sound this way. We'll send it back upstairs. Yeah, there you go. They would love that, and they would come down here and listen. Probably your kids are doing a great job on the piano, by the way. They are. I am super proud of the three of them that are taking lessons. And uh, my oldest is learning baritone, and he's wow, man. They're all doing way better at all that than I did as a kid. They started later, but I think that probably has something to do with it. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Josh underscore make stuff. You can find us. At I like to make stuff on all the different stuff. Let us know what you think about our new table, because that's about the only thing that's different about. It'll be a project <laughs> video. You can see it, and you can leave really nice comments in the comment section down below. Yes, I like it a lot, and I think it Me works too. very well for this. Um, you, Anthony, you got the the footage of this thing being made. How crazy it went, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was oh, fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Man. CNC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be sure to watch the video. It'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Join the Maker Alliance if you want to. If you don't, that's cool. We'll talk about it next time, and uh, we'll see you then. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.